You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fits your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule. With great starting pay and sign-on bonuses, if you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer. Today on the Zabecast, maybe the most dramatic news day in modern NFL history. Tom Brady makes it official and snubs the Pats in the process. Brian Flores goes Dracaris on the shield as the Rooney rule is now in complete tatters. All that, plus by the time you listen to this, the new Redskins name will likely be confirmed. It might be a swerve, but it looks like a disaster. Your 35-minute dose of pure me is locked and loaded, so... Buckle up, man. Let's go. Oh, here we go. Tuesday, February 2nd, 2022. Happy Groundhog Day, America. I do not know if Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. I can't even remember what it means. If he sees it or he doesn't see it. Six more weeks. Not more six weeks, not six I mean, whatever. I do love the tradition, though. Although I saw where one of the guys, one of the handlers for Punxsutawney Phil died, like yesterday. Well, it's terrible. Anyhow, happy Groundhog Day. Happy new woofed name day. More on that in just a bit. And as a bonus today, you're going to get my fa- my friend Ron Taylor. He was on one of our Malcolm trips, and he is a former MEAC football referee who once was on a crew with the great Jerome Boger, the ladies' man. Uh, He will join us today to talk refereeing, how he uh, has seen the playoffs so far from a zebra standpoint, and just why and how his dreams of making the NFL uh, didn't pan out. All that plus why he packs his flag with lead pellets for extra oomph. But first, I mean, look at this day. Are you kidding me? The day began quietly. And then Brady made it official. Boom. Then people noticed the Patriot and Belichick cold shoulder in the, I think, eight slide social media goodbye where he thanked everybody under the sun except for the Patriots and Belichick. Although he did later send out a separate tweet saying, thank you, Patriot Nation, with a big heart on it. That rubbed a lot of Patriot fans the wrong way. But maybe, and he did, there is a report he's going to retire as a Patriot. One-day contract, retire as a Patriot, which I heard Jay Billis tonight uh, on the Auburn-Alabama basketball game, which I watched while printing up my hats for Sunburn Bowl. Oh, my God. This hat press I got off of Amazon.com. It's not the best one you can get, but for 150 bucks, it works. I finally got the cook time right. I'm able to put on these 3D rubber applique logos that my man Steve Hanna, absolute brilliant graphic artist, and the logo designer to the stars for me uh, cooked up. And then, of course, I found some Etsy shop in Shanghai, no lie, and ordered these rubber appliques at two bucks a pop, they're sharp. They're sharp. I'll have to post a picture of them. But anyway, I was uh, I was doing the hat game down there, watching the uh, game on the uh, TV in my little bar area, where I was sitting in the booth area, just chunk chunk, you know, putting them in, putting them out. <clears throat> I'm watching the game, and and Jay Billis says about Brady, he goes, "I don't get it. He he's not retiring a Patriot. I don't care if he signs a one day deal. He retired as a Buccaneer." And I'm like. Thank you. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> I think Billis said it's like getting divorced just so you could say you died single. 
Like getting divorced on your deathbed so you could say you died single. It doesn't make any sense, but whatever. So yeah, so that was the start of the day in the morning. And then we had the Wolf's new name, the Commanders, or so it appears, starting to get very leaky around the edges, culminating in a whoopsie helicopter shot through the window at FedEx Field where they were setting up the new pro shop that said Commanders. I have had confirmations from one person who I shall leave nameless who said one word. He's like, it's Commanders. And he would know. And then I uh, got a confirmation from somebody on Twitter who released photos of the new uniform combos. And they said, I think it's Redskins Realm. And they said, you know what? We've had these for a while, but we sat on them because we didn't want to you know, jump in front of any news with the team. We felt they would have been wrong. Now, maybe it's all a big swerve. Maybe by the time you download this, they are not the commanders. Maybe they're going to go, ha-ha, Groundhog Day. What happened? The same thing over and over. We're still the Washington football team, and we're going to stay the Washington football team. Ned Ryerson, ding! Groundhog Day, Bill Murray. Watch it. I don't think that's going to happen. So um, the Wolf thing started to get leaky. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I don't know what we'll find out tomorrow when you listen to this. I don't know right now. I'm about to go to bed. If they really fucked up by not covering the sign of the pro shop in a black drape or just waiting, wait until eight in the morning to put the sign up, you know, make sure to close the doors, put newspaper up in the windows be paranoid as hell like there could be drones helicopters who knows and then stock your stupid fucking pro shop and then at at, you know at six in the morning or whenever go put the sign up then (laughs) put the sign up as soon as the name is announced what are you doing it's the redskins what do you expect anyway more on that in just a second okay so that was the second thing that started to culminate and then in the afternoon The Brian Flores bombshell, which could either radically alter the NFL and the pro sports landscape, or it could end up being another case in which a guy gets overpowered by the shield and their army of lawyers. And then if that wasn't spicy enough, the Jim Harbaugh rumors got real hot and heavy uh, on Wednesday night. Don't know what tomorrow morning is going to bring that he is rumored to be ready to take the job in Minnesota with the Vikings. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? Former Super Bowl coach who's been to multiple conference championship games in the pros, wore out his welcome in San Francisco, high intensity, firm handshake as we know, going back to the pros to maybe do some damage. Interesting. There's no better time for him to cash in right now if he ever wanted to go back to the NFL for one more swing. As much as he bleeds maize and blue, he knows. He caught an inside straight this year. It's not that they're a bad team, but it's got to break just right for you when you're in the Big Ten to make the con- you know make the Final Four, and he did. Likelihood of, of him going back with Michigan, I don't think it's very high. So this would be the time. Strike while the iron is hot and the money is going to be stupid to go to the pros. So we got stuff to talk about. And like I said, my friend Ron Taylor, former MEAC ref in just a second. But first, the Flores situation. Look, he's got a great case in the court of public opinion. In court court, well, we'll see. You know, you got the bullet points of their filing. We don't have all the discovery. We don't know what discovery is going to find out. We don't know if it's going to get to discovery. Already the Broncos have pushed back strongly on his one point about, hey, John Elway was two hours late and he was drunk or hungover. All right. The Broncos said, look, we got detailed meeting notes, records, documentation. That That is a totally untrue characterization of how our interview with Flores went. I, I think that has a potential to make Flores look bad because something tells me, even if it was at a hotel, it was not at the Broncos facility that, and it was a couple years ago, I think it was 2019, you know, there's going to be some evidence there 
about who showed up when and how the you know interview went, how long it went, who he talked to. I mean, there's going to be lots of documentation. And if Elway showed up, if he did show up drunk two hours late, guess what? That doesn't prove racism. Proves that Elway's a douchebag, which I don't think is the point of his lawsuit. Anyway, so that's one thing. That's not the strongest part of his case. Um, but here's the thing. He doesn't have to win it in court to actually win what he's trying to win, which is to get the NFL to hire more black coaches. In fact, I would say he's already won. And by the way, for those saying he gave up a chance to ever be a head coach again for this, to sue the league, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. Do you really think now the NFL is going to have the balls to blackball Brian Flores just because he sued the league? I know you can say, well, look at Kaepernick. I think this is different. I think now that the NFL is in the business of painting end racism on the end zones, I'm not sure they can just then go, oh, yeah, Brian Flores, well, I hope you win your lawsuit because you'll never work here again. Not sure that's how it's going to be. I guess, by the way, those end zone slogans did not, in fact, end racism. But this was inevitable. That's This is the other side of the coin to this Rooney rule. And many of us said this either loudly or politely or gently or in a way that said, look, I'm all for more minorities and black coaches getting a chance, but this is going to end in disaster. Because what happens is it's the old, if you give a mouse a cookie, children's book analogy. If you say you got to interview a minority every time you have an opening for head coach and then later on they added GMs, guess what? At some point they're going to go, hey, how come you haven't hired one yet? And then once you hire one and if you say, ah, this guy's not working out, you fire him after one year or maybe two years, they're going to go, whoa, why aren't you giving him a chance? If you give a mouse a cookie, if you if you interview him, when are you going to hire him? If you hire him... How long are you going to give him a chance? And on and on and on. And now it's trouble for the league because they're elbow deep in trying to engineer something that was going to be a difficult thing to engineer, and that is to change the minds and perceptions of 31 billionaire, mostly white guys. I guess Shad Khan would be the most minority uh, being of Pakistan. Danny descent. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, the reality is these rich white billionaires, they feel comfortable, more comfortable with white coaches, even if they are redneck white coaches who, you know, don't fit the mold. It's just who they're more comfortable with. And that is racism. It's, it's kind of racist. It is. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. How badly racist is it? I don't know exactly. It depends on what your view of racism is. They should hire the best guy for the job. But boy, in this country, we are not doing that in a lot of ways these days. Of course, they're doing it the opposite direction to try to correct for what they believe was social injustice, whether it be women as referees or announcers. Maybe they're the best ones for the job. I would argue I've seen and heard somewhere. I said, "Ah, sure, you don't have another candidate in the pool that's Better than this from on merit? No. But I understand why they're doing it. Anyway, the league is in trouble because discovery on this could, I mean, it will be a bitch. Imagine the trove of emails. Right now it's only three teams and the league. But it's a class action suit that is basically inviting other coaches to jump in. And it doesn't look like, from what I've read, that the NFL is going to win a case to dismiss outright, to do the old swatted away with the back of your hand kind of thing. But the biggest problem, in addition to the discovery portion of this, oh, and by the way, the allegation that Stephen Ross was willing to give a bonus of hundred grand to Flores for losing games. Now, I want to see the hard documentation of that. It wouldn't shock me if that was the case. It seems kind of dumb. I mean, maybe he's dumb enough to put it in writing or have it you know, recorded in some way, shape, or form. But that brings in a whole host of antitrust issues 
and lawsuits, and now that there's gambling involved, I mean, oh, my God. He may lose the franchise over it. Of course, he should have lost the franchise a while ago. The guy sucks. Like at least a third of the owners in this league, complete idiot. Billionaire, though. Idiot in football, billionaire in other regards. So there's that element to it as well. But the real problem is, where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? There will be a demand, not an ask, not hopes, but a demand for a fix. You know why? Because we are living in a world in which people think there are easy fixes to things that are complicated, ugly, and ingrained. And there is no easy fix to this, like I said. So when you get one-and-done black guys, like, say, Wilkes in Arizona, who was mentioned in the case, and Cully in Houston, is that going to now be outlawed going forward? Not only do you have to interview at least one minority as a head coach, Every time you got an opening, you got to hire one. Once every three hires you make. And then once you hire them, you got to give them two years minimum. Do you see how deep your elbows are now into this if you're the NFL? And the media pressure. Oh, my God. I can already hear the army of columnists banging away on their keyboards on this. The righteous indignation that will rain down on Roger Goodell and the NFL is going to be something else. And to a certain extent, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> Good. Roger Goodell, fuck you. Call your office. You're going to be busy with this for quite a while. The league is underrepresented for uh, black coaches. There's no question about it. I don't know what the fix is. I don't know how you do it. The problem is once you start to mandate stuff, then there's a huge cloud of suspicion with every hire of a black coach. It's like, is this really guy, is this guy the best or is it just – Our third one in the last eight years, so bing, we've got to check the box. Once you start checking boxes, there's a whole bunch more boxes that people are going to want you to check. And that's going to be the league's challenge going forward. But hey, that'll be their problem. Me, I'm just going to be sitting crisscross applesauce, clapping my hands like one of those toy chimps with the symbols on it, going, yay, football, football, so fun. Roger Goodell. Maybe you can start earning a little bit of that bloated salary. Before we get to uh, Ron Taylor, I'll tell you about the woof on the back end of it, my thoughts on the uniform, and I think one of the wrongest conventional wisdom pieces about quarterback for the woof going forward that I would like to dispel. But Mo Drayton was fired. Or not fire, but he was. It was announced the Packers would uh, uh, go a different direction at special teams uh, with Mo Drayton, the coach from this year, who engineered one of the worst units ever. Disasters, two disasters in the NFC Championship game uh, that he will no longer be with the team. Look, good man, family man, tough biz, tried his hardest. Yeah, there is nothing personal. Many of us were going, you got to fire this guy. I screamed it during the season. What good is that going to do? Well, now you're firing him in the offseason when your team is already knocked out of the playoffs. So this is even worse. You're firing him because you're like, yeah, shit, our unit sucks, and we got to get somebody else, a fresh set of eyes on it, maybe a new system. Who knows? A guy can reach players better. But when you say, well, what good would it do to fire a guy during the season? We'll never know. And the season was the time to do it Because if you got a bump from the new guy for doing whatever different, even if it was a bump of just like five spots in the rankings to move from 32nd to 27th, good math, dummy, then guess what? You might be still playing, perhaps for a Super Bowl championship. All right, let's bring on my man, Ron Taylor. I figured with the NFL playoffs coming to a boil, we better talk to a real-life bona fide referee. Oh, come on. 
Really? You're going to play Blinded by the Light to welcome on my friend, one-time Malcolm McLeod participant, and retired MEAC football referee, Ron Taylor? How could I do you that wrong, playing that song? (laughs) Hello, Ron. How are you, bud? I'm great, Steve. (laughs) Oh, my God. We got a lot to talk about. You are retired from the labor of love that is officiating, and you did MEAC football from 91 to 2014. That's correct. Man, oh, man. That is a lot of games right there. And um, I started my high school career over in your neck of the woods, around the, the mean streets of McLean and Fairfax. Get out! <laughs> yes, I did. So, so you uh, you probably refereed some very feeble Langley High School games, in which you know they went two and nine against the division. Yep, I'm sure I did. Yeah, very good. <laughs> so, when you retired from the MEAC, were you a crew chief at the time? No. No. What were one thing, see the layman calls everybody referees. The referee is the crew chief. The official the name is officials. I was a back judge. So I was a guy deep down the middle that stayed, you know, deeper than all the receivers and stayed back on proper returns uh for many years, since from ninety six to twenty fourteen. Okay, so when when you your crew or whoever was mm-hmm. on the field and there's Seven guys? Seven. There were seven when I left, but in the college game, there are now eight. There's still seven in the NFL. Okay. okay. All, all major colleges use eight now. And 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 you guys would just call the crew chief the referee. He was the yes. referee. And then there were side judge, back judge, field judge, umpire, line judge. Uh, Did I miss that? Side judge, back judge. And the new the fish the, the position that they use in college now with the big C on his back is called a center judge. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Um, but but we uh, the layman uh, the non referees will call uh, the crew chief in the NFL. So and so, you know, Sean Hockley is the crew chief this week, or Ronald Torre. When in fact they are literally the referee. That is their official is designation. But we also call yes. them the white hat. Because they're the ones yeah. with the white hat. Everyone else has a black hat. Okay, all right. We got Correct. that all sorted out. Well, let me start with this. How'd the refs do in the playoffs this year, in your opinion? So far, I think they've done good. Um, in the Cincinnati game, of course, we had Alon Judge in his actually last game as an official because he retired this year. And he had an inadvertent whistle, which That's they call it. Topic. Yes. That was a tough one. But other other than that, I think they have pretty much stayed with the protocol. There hasn't been anything quite unusual. Um, two calls this week that we saw that were missed on the quarterbacks, and I can't tell you why they missed them. I, that is shocking. Now, they clearly, Ron, they dried up the calls significantly in the mm-hmm. playoffs. Now, I ask you – knowing how the ecosystem of leagues and commissioners and and how it trickles down to the officiating works, do you think the NFL sent out a memo or just told verbally their crews, look, we'd rather you guys not call as many penalties, or did the referees just decide that on their own? I think that they decided that they were going to call the game um, – as close as they can and stay out of the way. If they didn't see see anything egregious, they were going to leave it alone. When you start getting to this level, you do want the players to, you know, to earn the fouls that, that they have to call. So you don't, you know, you look at it, but you decide, did it really have a bearing on the player or not? And right. didn't, they leave it alone. But you're also talking about two teams that made it to the championship. Um Teams don't typically get that far committing penalties. <laughs> that's that's true. They're they're better coached. They're they're better teams. So yeah, I, I guess that would be a, another logical explanation that the referees, for their own sake, do not want to insert themselves. You guys respect Correct. the game. You understand the game. You understand the playoffs. It's it's different from the regular season. So you can back off. Now, the one exception to that is uh, Sean Hockley, who is not very popular with a lot of my listeners and fans 
who called Brady's first ever unsportsmanlike conduct, I said, look, I said, we don't know what Brady said. I, I think if Brady motherfucked him literally to his face, you almost have to call that, right? And I look at I look at that in an opposite manner. I'm thinking, why didn't more referees call Brady for this? Because let me tell you, that ain't the first time he's a motherfucking referee. Exactly. <laughs> See, right, that's the thing. He's been doing it for a long time. And I think right. maybe Hockley's like, listen, I'm not going to let that go. People didn't like that. There was also a uh, unsportsmanlike in the Ram Niner game late that looked like a nothing burger. And people got upset about it. And my only response was, well, uh, we don't know what the audio was on the field. And maybe there was something really egregious that you didn't see, but that player 51, I think it was for the Niners, said. Now, consider this. You have the officials that are named to the Super Bowl this week. The Supposedly the top in each of their positions based on their grading throughout the season. Right. So they have to be cognizant of what they call during the season uh, you know, being too uh, rabbit ear on what players say because they're looking at their grading throughout the season. Well, Hockley's in the championship. You know, he's in the playoffs now. The Super Bowl team is set. So he doesn't have to worry about pissing Brady off. So Brady shouldn't have pissed him off. Yeah, <laughs> no. During the season, he may have let it go. But <laughs> no, no, right. son, enough of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. Uh, did you ever dream of making the NFL, Ron? At one point early in my career, um, several of the NFL officials are from the D.C. areas. This is a hotbed of officiating because Johnny Greer was our supervisor. And oh, he had a lot of the um, training uh, mechanisms, and he would bring a lot of the guys in here. And they have an officiating camp uh, here in the spring. That's named after Tom Beard, who was one of our sort of our um, Papa Bears, so to speak. Right. He was not an official, but he uh, guided those guys that were looking to make the leap. Now, it required time and a commitment that I simply wasn't willing to give. And that's why I decided I would be the best in the MEAC for as long as I could. And once I was done, I was done, and that's how it worked. Tell but a lot of the guys that are there, I, I either work with or knew personally along the way. They're eleven in the league now that I've either worked semi-pro games or college games with throughout my career. Nice. Now tell people, as you told me, uh, what it takes commitment-wise to put in the hours, to log the games, to climb the ranks. Start with a yeah. week, a typical weekend during football season for you living in the D.C. area. Go. So we have to work. As a, I started in high school, and you're working JV freshman games at all those high schools mm-hmm. and uh, in um, the private schools and working some rec ball leagues along the way, and you're trying to get uh, under the watchful eye of a college commissioner somewhere so you're working a lot of games during the week you're going out and working four o'clock to ten o'clock or whatever on three days a week and then have a meeting on maybe on monday so you know your family's saying bye-bye a lot <laughs> it's like right it's like you're selling so you're, vacuum cleaners you're way so long yeah you're doing and then you're trying to move up the ladder so now you have to get um you're trying to get associated with a college conference, and they're having scrimmages, they're having meetings, they're asking you to come uh, and work with them in those, unpaid. Uh, and if you were able to make it on a crew, then you have to travel uh, through the college ranks before you, you, you would often be seen. Yeah, you would often, you said, drive to Ohio to do multiple games in a weekend for a couple hundred bucks a game. Yeah, I, I would drive to Delaware State twice this year, 100 miles each way, hmm. uh, in the spring and the summer to do an unpaid scrimmage. Wow. Uh, my last year, I had to drive down to Savannah, Georgia, to do an unpaid scrimmage. Jesus. <laughs> and you had to do it because the supervisors that grade you and the ones you have to play the political game with 
to advance, they're noting whether or not you go, oh, hell no, I ain't going down to Savannah for free, right? Right. And in and, and the best case, then your name can be scratched off the list. So you have to play the game, and you have to show what you're doing. And you're out there working on scrimmage. The team's practicing. They're running through plays. But you're working plays, and you're working them as if you're working the Super Bowl. So you need to have your act together. You need to be physically fit. You need to have the appearance. And you need to officiate each play as if it was live because you don't know who's watching. Yeah, and uh, and you have to get good at your craft. You have to know the rules inside and out. You guys get quizzed on that all the time. And mm-hmm. you have to, when you're out there in the field, really focus on here's what I'm looking for, here's how I'm looking for it, and grade yourself and go, you know what, this is what I missed, this is what I did well, and just keep on improving your game. And you mentioned the physically fit part of it. I've noticed they're not hiring any fat, dumpy refs at the NFL level. Not anymore. Not anymore. And you have to – now, you also notice in the NFL – and we'll talk about this in a minute, where they moved the umpire in the backfield. Remember, the umpire used to be behind the defense. Oh, he was in the kill box. Yes, and those guys were allowed to have a little muscle and fat. Because <laughs> yeah. they would get crushed. They would get, get crushed. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, but now they're in the backfield with the referee, so you see even that position, they're smaller than they used to be. How did you settle um, on back judge? As your jam, as I like well, to hear. I, at the time Johnny became our um, supervisor in MIAC, I was still working over at Northern Virginia football officials, and I had been promoted to referee. I was the first black referee for Northern Virginia football officials. And I think since then there's been maybe three or four. Uh, one has even made it to president. Nice. But I was working that position, and I had been working in the MIAC since 91. Uh, and when Johnny came in, he decided that we were going to uh, seven-man. We were working six-man crews at the time. So he asked me at that time to move to back judge. And I, I enjoyed it because I, before I went to the referee position, I was a five-man back judge in high school. So I was familiar with working in the backfield. Is there one position that's harder than the rest or one position that's easier than the rest? No, that's a misnomer because I knew all the positions and all the mechanics for all the positions, and I was actually a trainer before I left Northern Virginia, so I had to know the positions. I had to know how to teach it. Typically, officials will lock in to one so that they can become, you know, exemplary at that position. Right. But we've always taught that you ought to know how to work because you never know. You could lose a an official during the game and have to adjust. Right. And if, you, if you're if you not familiar with how to work it, then who's going to move? So typically I would end up moving if we needed someone. I guess the hardest one would be the referee because you have to make the decisions on penalty enforcement. Um, you're, especially in today's microphone world, you're the one talking. So you're the face of the, of right. the uh, crew. Yeah, that's now, obviously. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> I had a referee in college who was—he was a great guy. He was a great crew chief, <laughs> but he depended on me to know the rules. So when there was a situation, an unusual one, you know, most of the main ones, but occasionally something crazy would happen. You know, we got a guy over here uh, with a foul, and then there's a guy out of bounds downfield, and we got three teams going on, and I would kind of come in and kind of bring everything together. But typically the referee is responsible for not just being able to remain calm and cool and make sure we do the right thing and don't look frazzled on camera. <laughs> uh, but, but, but also in guiding you in the preparation during the, you know, as you have your pregame meetings and those kinds of things. So that, that would be the one that the supervisor would look for somebody who was, you know, showed more leadership qualities. More yeah. so than just being a good official. Yeah, you got to present well when you deliver the calls because mm-hmm. people have to believe that you and your crew know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, and and, and there was there's even a mechanic to understanding that. I came up in the MIAC at a time when we were getting very few 
television games. We started getting more and more. But as a referee, you had to understand also that when they came to you with a penalty, the camera was going to come on you. So you needed to ha- you needed to understand how to comport yourself, get your information, and then get clear. But don't go too far because you know we we have got the um, evaluator would talk to referees. You know you're moving too much. The camera's on you, and then you're walking twenty yards to give you signals. <laughs> the camera's already <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah, and and the one guy in the NFL, and I mean this guy is a great American. He served in combat, but he, as a head referee in the NFL, was a disaster. Jeff Triplett. Jeff Triplett would always have this, oh, God, damn, what's going on here? And he'd be like, you, you had no confidence in a Triplett game that shit was going to be right. Here, here's a classic Jeff Triplett for you. Play, we have two fouls. First a foul, unnecessary roughness. Number 11 of the kicking team. Personal foul number 52 of the receiving team. Those penalties offset at the spot of the at the dead ball spot. First down, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I think the, the opposite end of that, and he's now retired, is uh Ed Hockley. Yes. And, and he would he would he would break it down in such a way that fans would be like Okay, now you're being an asshole with these rules, right? <laughs> the game is not over. Here. It was an illegal formation. Okay. By the offense, number 81 was not up for the line of scrimmage. That does not end the game. There is no 10-second runoff with that foul. The ball was legally snapped. He's like, that does not end the game because the crowd's going, yay, yay. It's like, I will lock the doors and keep you people here. The game is not over. Oh, my God. And just think. Who penalized Brady? Sean of the Edge. Sean of the Edge. Yeah, you know it. You know it. Oh, God. Uh, what's the hardest call to make in football? Oh, wow. P.I.? It's got to be P.I. Or is P. it holding? Because you could well, call holding on every play, couldn't you? Well, see, here's the thing with holding. Holding is easy to call if you consider the factors. And, the, 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 you know, the public thinks and even announcers when they always say that flag was late. You know, it's, the foul is really not a foul. The action itself is not a foul unless it causes something just egregiously out there or it causes an advantage for the, for the fouling team. So if I pull you, like if I'm on defense and I pull a lineman, you know, to keep him from running his blocking route, then that could be holding called by the umpire. If I grab a guy and pull him out the way so my guy can shoot the gap, that's holding. Right. Um, but if I just grab a guy because he's on me and I'm trying to get him out the way and then nothing comes through the hole or there's no material effect, then there's nothing to call. Um, so you have to look at how blatant was the act, but you also have to look at was there an effect of the act. Yeah, and and so, that's what gets missed. And that's what announcers, when they, it always gets me when they say that flag was late. The flag ain't late. We got plenty of time. <laughs> the yeah. ball is not snapped yet. Right. Late. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. They, they, the announcers say the flag is late, but part of it is you want to see the more of the play, like you said, to see if it had a material effect. And right. secondly, the flag just doesn't instantly appear right at the spot of the foul. You, you A lot of times you throw it from 10 yards behind the play takes a while exactly. to get there because you could be if you're downfield you're running backwards trying to keep those guys from running you over and you so you're 30 yards downfield moving backwards and then there's a hole five yards past the line of scrimmage it's gonna be a minute before i can get my flag out stop yeah. running and throw that thing and it, hey i was known in high school for having the heaviest thing in my flag Cause I can get that bad boy thirty five yards. <laughs> well, all right, so you know, of course, poor Jeff Triplett also once inadvertently caught Orlando Brown in the eye with yes, his flag, that was unfortunate. And, and the flags yeah. have like popcorn typically in them to weight them. Right? What did yes. you weight yours with? Pellets. Use some, there's weight, right? You know those things you use to hold your um, 
your fishing. Oh, you uh, used lead sinkers. The, the lead sinkers. You put those oh. in, you wrap the flag up, and put oh. them in. So you, you you need to get now. Referee doesn't have to throw his flag that far, but he just the problem is he just threw the thing up in the air and it happened. To, I mean, that was very unfortunate. Yeah, that that happened. You it know, was. he had no intention of doing that. It was I, just you know, I love it on offsides calls, Ron, when a referee launches his flag. Like a an Apollo rocket, like really high, you know. Right. They probably say, right. "Okay, go easy. You don't need to launch it to the moon." I love the super high penalty, right? Because they want to indicate to everyone that you know there's a foul on this place. Something's going to happen when the ball's good, right? And they just they just let it go. See, I've gone through too. Where um, so I started in '85. We used to keep our flag in our back pocket, hanging out the pocket, and you get some knucklehead out there with. Two flags, you know, like they have yellow exhaust coming out there, but when they run up the field. <laughs> Wait, some referees carry two yellow flags just in case? They used to. They don't like you to do that anymore. <laughs> no, because it makes you seem like an asshole ready to yes. call penalties all over the place. Like one yes, flag should be like, enough. You, yeah, you're a little overzealous on this thing, ain't you? But, <laughs> so then we went to the flag in the waistband. But you also carry your beanbag in your waistband. So occasionally you'll see an official trying to throw a flag and something blue hits the ground and it's like, oh, where's that right. flag? And then, well, so what else? And so then they throw their hat. Now, the NFL are the only people that throw their hats. College, they do it for a player going out of bounds um, on their own. But other than that, you don't see a college official using his hat yeah. for a flag. The hat is, you know, a, just, hat is the backup flag for a second yeah. violation on a play in those rare instances. Um, all right, yeah. how about this? This is a big one. Your thoughts on replay, Ron? Oh, boy. I think it makes me love watching games use my DVR because I can fast forward through all of this mess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's the frustrating and, thing is, is you as a referee have to be able to make the right call off of basically one replay. Yes. We at home only need two or three at most, but Jesus, mm-hmm. it takes so long. And the technology has grown so much, and unfortunately, the administrative part of it has become a part of the game, and you have to go through it. And, and you know, in NBA, they go over there, they spend all this time looking at those screens, and it takes forever for files that they used to just call and keep moving. And the NFL is, is just grown that, to that point because – the officials don't make the rules. They don't make the requirements. They have to follow it. So, yeah. unfortunately, these are the processes you got to deal with. It, and I, there's no real way to get past it. Now, it has evolved, and very rarely do you see a misstep, like someone blowing their whistle when they shouldn't, instead of letting the play go. You should. You should see the ball. That is the basic tenet of officiating. Never blow your whistle until you see the ball. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that sometimes officials think they see the ball and they blow their whistle, and that's what you get yourself in trouble. And if you do blow your whistle, own up to it, or you get yourself in more trouble. Yeah, well, <laughs> but they, I don't they, know. They, the NFL kind of covered that up uh, in the mm-hmm. in the Cincinnati game against the Raiders where there was that unfortunate whistle. They're like, yeah, we don't really know who it was. Almost like it doesn't matter. We know on the crew, and he'll be dealt with, but we're not going to announce it. We know who the hell it was. Yeah. You see who it was. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I know. The guy with the whistle in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> who took the whistle to his mouth right by Joe Burrow right. as he's going out of bounds. That's my he's clue. He's the right only there. one who was going to rule on the play being dead, and he had the whistle in his yeah. mouth. Yeah, exactly. You know, there was – my my um my trainer when I joined Northern Virginia football in '85, you remind me a lot of him. His name was Blaze Barnes, and he lived over in Herd, and he was a property manager. And he taught us, you know, he trained me. First time I showed up, I, I had missed the opening starter of the training season, so I show up from work, working up the AAA off of uh, Murrayfield Road. And I show up in my dress shoes, and he said, you're here. Get out there and run plays. So I'm running on the field with dress shoes. <laughs> Blaze was a tough dude. But he, he said he always told us, he's like, 
you could have the whistle up your ass. If you're going to blow it, you're going to dig in there and get it and blow it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, two more and then we're done. We could go on for hours and hours. This has been fun, Ron. But uh, best current referee in the NFL, in your opinion, and the best all-time referee, meaning they've been retired in the NFL. I don't know that I have a best one. I have a favorite one. Jerome's Who's your... my favorite. Oh, yeah, Jerome Boger. my crew chief for, for three seasons. And, you know, every time you talk about you know, The ladies' man. <laughs> the ladies' man. He's my man. He's so smooth. You know, he was my crew chief. That's for, cool. For, for, for four seasons before he moved on to SEC. Awesome. But, yeah, Jerome's, Jerome is, is just such a good dude. He's just yeah. a good dude. Okay. I think – they all do a great job. So he's my favorite. I don't know that I necessarily have a How best. about some of the legends like, you know, uh, uh, Dick Hantack or uh, Jerry Mark Bright? Red Cashin. Red Cashin. First down. Those yes, guys. Red's like my man. See, those characters, they, they're, they're not coming through anymore. You know, the reason yeah. I love the ladies' man like you do is that he's a bit of a character. He's unique, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. And the new ones that are coming out, I don't know what they're, they're robots. Doing to them. They put them in some kind of uh, stasis tube or something and teaching them how to yeah. all sound alike. I know <laughs> they're stripping of personality. It's like coaches, you know. Like we're never going to see a Glanville again, right? You know, right. a coach with real character that's not afraid to get out there and make headlines. So uh, it's, I guess, part of the big time nature of the game now. It's just it's too much money involved. All right, last question for any parent who's listening. Or maybe any young person listening who loves sports who's like, yeah, I kind of wanted to be a football referee. What mm-hmm. one piece of advice, other than don't do it, would you give them? Well, I wouldn't say don't do it. If it's your passion, you should do it. But so know what I you're getting into. Study, right. Know what you're getting into and know your stuff. As long as you study and know your stuff, you'll stay out of trouble. Nice, you know, and yeah. it's a it's a it's an enriching hobby slash second job slash potential career depending on how it goes because you're is. involved in a sport you love you're doing something that's necessary we still need mm-hmm. human beings to referee these these games robots can't do it all right. and uh, and you get to be around uh, young athletic people and help change and mold lives it's a it's a win win all around and I'll say one piece. Here we have the Super Bowl coming up. It's going to be how many thousands of people in SoFi Stadium? Uh, c- close to 80, 90, something like that. Right. And only seven people's opinion is going to matter. Wouldn't you like to be one of those seven? Yes, as long <laughs> as you don't fuck it up. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. You were, you're going to work the game no matter what. They're not going to take you out the game during the middle of the game. Right. And you know what? You don't have to worry about blowing a huge call because replay is going to back you up. So. How about that? The best of the best. So, oh, my God. Yes. Look at this. The, Ron, the DJ pulled up. She blinded me with science. Can you believe it? <laughs> what the hell? It is science. It is science. <laughs> all right. Hey, Ron, let's Steve, play, let's play golf soon. To... All right? Yes. Now that you're retired, all let's right. play some golf. Thank you, buddy. All right. All right. See you, Bye buddy. Now. All right, let me end on this. If the Washington football team has become the commanders by the time you listen to this, and if the logos I've seen so far and the fonts being used are indeed what they're going with, it's a disaster. Oh my God. I'm not, I wasn't super duper anti the name commanders, but looking at the graphic packages that have leaked online, I have just said to myself, holy shit, this is something I could have done with an hour on MS Paint. Hmm, let's see, uh, Helvetica Narrow. Uh, oh, no, wait, no, let me, uh, Helvetica Narrow Bold. Oh, there we go. Commanders. I'll put that right across the front, and then I'll do this. And I'll, I mean, it, it, it just sucks, uh, and there's no creativity to it. My preference would have been Red Wolves. I did retweet a mock-up of what that could have looked like. They could have used the old Lombardi Circle R with the not feathers on 
the back of the circle, but actually a a wolf tail. And they could have used the same color scheme, burgundy and gold as before, and it would have been mint. The alternate or the roads would have been this pure white on white with modernized sort of materials, uh, sort of a glistening white, a little bit shiny white from the mock-up I saw, with a white helmet with the old, what I call the the big majestic R that George Allen was kind of known for, wore it on their hats. It was never worn on their helmets, but it was a hat logo, uh, the big majestic R. Red Wolves. You know, wolves, red wolves are not really indigenous to the area, but they're around. Fuck cares. It's an animal. Animals are solid sports nicknames. They have been forever. And there's not a lot of teams named the Wolves, especially not in the NFL. They'd be the only one. Fucking go with it. And don't give me this bullshit. Well, there's another team in Arkansas that's the Red Wolves. Fucking get out your checkbook and write it for God's sakes. Or sick your lawyers on them. That's not an excuse. Kids could get into it. You get little kitschy things in the stadium where you howl. The wolf den after touch. It's something, you know. You would have kept the Echo throwback logos of the past. You would have two new fire-ass modern uniforms. Because the old kits for the Redskins before they became the wolf were really getting tired. And you would... You would have something there. You you would have something that might keep a lot of people. Uh, this commander shit. If if it's as bad as it looks, oh my god, it's a disaster. And if they couldn't even pull off a clandestine reveal after two years of this, well, there's the Dan Snyder Washington Football Team that you know and love. We'll see what today's dawn brings. On Groundhog Day, I feel like it's, yeah, it is sort of like Groundhog Day for the uniforms. Is it really going to be? Is, are they going to see their shadow? I mean, it's possible it's a giant swerve, one elaborate misdirection to the point where they mocked up fake uniforms and let them leak online on purpose. Told Joe Theismann to go do an interview and say, Commanders, possible. I doubt it, though. We shall see. All right. Holy shit, it's midnight. For all of you people that say, you know, say, podcast bed early. You don't get the latest information. Well, here I am at midnight. Going to get five and a half, six hours maybe of sleep. Wake up to a crackerjack job on 97 through the game out of Milwaukee. I urge you to listen to that if you can as well. Thank you for being part of the Zabecast Nation. Thank you to Ronald Taylor for being with us. Have a great Wednesday, everybody, and we will see you next time. Parent, volunteer, employee. With your different roles and busy schedule, how can you find time to complete the degree you once started? Cornerstone University's programs are designed for busy adults like you. Take one course at a time, back-to-back to move through your degree quickly. Attend through an on-campus, live stream, or 100% online format, whichever works best for you. If you're ready to go further in your goals, we're here to make it possible. Achieve without ceasing. Learn more at adult.cornerstone.edu. Nothing is more powerful than the connection between storyteller and audience. Over 100 million Americans listen to podcasts monthly, forming lasting connections with their favorite creators. Ad Results Media helps breakthrough brands join the conversation with advertising that feels authentic and organic. With over 20 years of expertise in the audio influencer space, Ad Results Media amplifies brands across thousands of shows, publishers, and emerging platforms. Be part of the story. Learn more at adresultsmedia.com/story. That's adresultsmedia.com/story.